Hello, friends. I'm JP. And I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Broken But Beautiful podcast, where we talk about why church is still worth it. JP, it's good to be with you. I hadn't seen you in a while. I know. It's good to be back together. Spring is here, man. Spring is here. Uh, for you and me, as Boston Red Sox fans, we're excited for baseball to be back. Finally won last night. We finally won. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. But man, uh, spring is here. Uh, we just got through Easter weekend at the time that we're recording this podcast. I don't know about you, but Easter weekend for me brings so much hope. And the fact that we had great weather through Easter weekend, yes. my spirits have just been lifted lately. Yeah, it's such an amazing time. And I mean, as we're talking in this podcast, there's a lot of times of church life, it's hard. You see people that are struggling to be there. They're struggling to believe. They're struggling to hang on. But on Easter Sunday, everybody wants to believe. Everybody's happy to be together. And and especially coming back from from COVID, it was it was one of the more special Easter's I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I think our ability to focus on resurrection is more important than it has been in a long time because yeah. we're all on the lookout for little miniature resurrections around us for what life is going to be after this season of darkness. Yeah, this what we've been through will forever change and deepen our experience of of so many things including our faith. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people who are saying my reliance on God mm-hmm. is is all the more important because of this COVID season. I've had to rely on him more, and I've seen the value of that relationship with God. Yeah, and speaking of those relationships, I'm excited to introduce you to some more friends today, Drew. William and Alwanda Carruthers. They're a part of the Lawrence Avenue Church of Christ, which is kind of like our sister congregation in our neighborhood of Nashville. I'm a part of the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. And our church doesn't have many people their age. They're in their 60s. We don't have many baby boomers. And so I have looked to them so many times for advice and wisdom. I remember calling William early in the pandemic and just kind of bearing my souls, like, how are we going to get through this? And how are we going to stay church and and what does it mean to be church through this pandemic i've learned so much from them their congregation is predominantly uh black african-american my church is predominantly white and so they have been patient and humble um examples to me of all the things our culture has talked about the last decade i've known them for 10 years and they've been the, the best example in my life that i can think of of people who will sit there and be patient as I ask questions mm-hmm. and kindly help me know what I don't know, yeah. you know, if that makes sense. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for their example and how kind they've been to me over the last 10 years. And I, and I think you're really going to be blessed by some of the things they have to say. Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation. I haven't heard any of it. JP and I are going to sit down right now and listen to it and glean some things from it and we'll reflect on a little bit, but uh, we'll start off this conversation that JP's had with the Carruthers, and we hope that you enjoy it as well. Well, William and Alwanda, it's good to see y'all. Thanks for doing this. I thought we would start if you could just uh, tell us a little bit about your spiritual background, your church background. Okay, okay. Um, 
My background is it's a legacy. <laughs> my grandparents, my parents, and now me and my siblings. Okay, we all grew up in the church, in the womb in the church. Okay, <laughs> all of my family pretty much are members of the church. And uh, I became a member when I was 10 years old. Wow. Yeah, it was like in 62 is when I became a member, but didn't know what I was really doing at the time. But my journey, you know, as a Christian has been, you know, very rewarding. It's been very rewarding. Thank you for that. Wow. Okay. My story is different. (laughs) My grandfather was a devout member of the body of Christ. And he, to the best of his ability, I believe, indoctrinated my mother and my aunts and uncles. As a child, my mother, she did the best she could. Now, she she wasn't as faithful in the Lord's church as my grandfather. My grand, I remember as a child, my grandfather was always encouraging her. My mother was a member of the church, but my father wasn't at the time. And so as children, my mother did the best she could. She would bring us to worship services on occasions. Me personally, it was enough for me to at some point during my childhood, I would go by myself. Wow. And so I, I was able to, to get that influence. But then as I got older, I lost connection. And I, I, I never was baptized at that point until... I met El Wanda. <laughs> and uh, El, El Wanda and I met, and uh, I was a musician. Well, I'm a musician as well. And we were both in a band at the time. Hey, now. <laughs> and so hey now. <laughs> I remember we would come home from, from shows. We would get home in the, in the wee hours of the morning. And I remember uh, on Sunday morning, she would tell me, well, I'm going to go home, take a nap. Then I'm going to get up and I'm going to I'm going to church this morning. And I'd say, OK, I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, after after a couple of Sundays of that, she said that again. And I told her, I said, I tell you what, I didn't have transportation at the time. So I said, do you mind coming to pick me up? I'll go with you. Mm-hmm. So when I started going with her. I started hearing the messages. It rekindled a flame that had been either almost extinguished. Mm-hmm. It rekindled that flame. And then it wasn't too long after that I was baptized into the body of Christ. I believe it was what, 1978? Uh, no, it must have been 77. 77, maybe. Wow. And been here ever since. Ever so, since. Yes. Well, so y'all have seen a lot. Yes, sir. <laughs> experienced a lot. And one of the things we're trying to do is have honest conversations about the times in church life when it's really hard and when sin creeps into the body of Christ and you've got to name it and you've got to repent and confess it. And uh, some people don't want to name it. So I thought we'd start with the bad stuff and work towards the good stuff. Could you guys tell us, even if it's hard story, whatever you're comfortable sharing a story about some stuff that's been broken about church. JP with me, there are several stories. When when you think about how long 
Uh, we've been in the body. Yes, there, there are several stories, but we're still here. I wanted to just briefly talk about my realization with race in the church. Mm-hmm. When I was baptized, I had, I think my expectations were at a point where I felt like being in the body of Christ would, would be a community of God's people where no matter where you went, no matter who you met that was a member of the body of Christ, it would be an equal shared fellowship of believers who would be the same way. Mm-hmm. But I learned, <laughs> I learned that that was not the case. One of, one of my experiences, I think, that helped me was when I started working for 21st Century Christian. Mm-hmm. And my boss at the time, we were selling curriculum. And I noticed on the front of the curriculum, all of the faces were white. Hmm. Yet we were selling tons of curriculum to the black congregations. Okay. And so Al Wanda and I, we were asked to be in a commercial for the bookstore. Mm-hmm. And I had to approach my boss with that. I said, why did you choose Al Wanda and I to be in the commercial? Mm-hmm. And he just pointed black. He said, well, we're trying to market stronger to the black congregations. I said, okay, that's no problem. I said, in the meantime, can we do something about the curriculum? And they changed it. Okay. Now, now, now the curriculum is very diverse when, when you see the covers of, of, of our curriculum. So that was one little situation. Mm-hmm. But, and then what happened, I read a book. It's, it was a book called Reviving the Ancient Faith. And so once I started reading the book, there was a section on black and white churches in the Lord's church. And I was reading some of the history and I just couldn't, I was shocked to believe that there was racism that was going on in the Lord's church many, many years ago. And I was thinking, okay, that was a chance when maybe the church of Christ could have been totally different Mm. from everybody else, uh, because that's what I was being taught that we were different. Yeah. but, But when it came to that, we weren't. So Al Wanda and I, we are mission-minded people, and we have no problem going anywhere. We, we'll, we'll go and visit any congregation at any time, and we have been to several, and we have had experiences where one congregation we went to, we were trying to help another congregation, but we got kind of lost, or we didn't go to the right congregation. Okay. And the congregation that we went to was predominantly white. And when we first came in the door, the first thing they told us, oh, you you people must be looking for the congregation down the street. Oh. And we were, we were trying to figure out why would they tell us that, <laughs> you know, just coming in the door. Yeah. The ushers. Another experience, I was invited to speak at a congregation in Alabama. Very dear friends, a friend of mine was preaching there and we were invited to come and speak. And and we were to speak on some mission experiences. Very nice congregation. People were very nice, inviting, mm-hmm. predominantly white. That evening, a brother came in and he was crying and we asked him what was wrong with him. And he said his congregation was coming that night because a lot of small congregations would do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were coming there that night. But when they found out that it was me, they chose not to come. So wow. it, it, it bothered him so bad. He came, but he, he was in tears. And so that was another experience. 
There was one experience with Elwanda. We went to a congregation. A friend of mine was preaching there. We came, either we came to visit or I was speaking there. Thank you. I was speaking there. And so, JP, you know how we, we're hugging people. <laughs> we, I do know that. <laughs> okay. So we went there, again, a predominantly white congregation. Elwanda hugged one of the brethren. And after that, he was wiping his face like he was trying to wipe off something he thought would rub off. Okay. Oh, wow. But you, you move on anyway. So we, we've had the experiences. But the good side is there's a congregation in Locust Grove, Kentucky, predominantly white, rural community. And we were treated like royalty, invited to the homes. I mean, take your shoes off. <laughs> you can take a nap in one of our bedrooms before we go back to evening worship. It was an older group of white brothers and sisters, and we're still like family today. Wow. So, so I think, JP, for me, the bright side of all of this is that because Al Wanda and I have always been mission-minded, I'm not talking about net so much always mission evangelistically outside of the body trying to bring mm-hmm. unbelievers in a lot of our mission has been within the body mm-hmm. wow and, and and trying to continue to develop create long-lasting relationships no matter who it is and and trying to break the ice sometimes we take hits and sometimes we're able to give the hugs and say the words that can help create a much better community of believers. Yeah, we still we need we still need some help in some areas along that line. But at the same time, I believe we're trying, even through meeting you guys, you know, at, at Ackland, it it gives us a lot of hope and we, we think things will eventually be okay. But we just have to keep working at it. I'm so grateful for their vulnerability and sharing some of these stories. You know, I had probably known them about five years and our churches had been gradually doing stuff together before I came to my current congregation, uh, picnics, joint worship services. We supported a missionary team in Central America together, various things like that. And it's gradually grown to doing more stuff socially, going out to dinner together. Um, We had a bowling night once, (laughs) coffee together. And probably after I'd been at church about five years and known William for about five years, we went out and had had coffee a few times. And it got to the point in our relationship. And this is probably 2015, 2016, a lot's going on in our culture. And I'm at the point when it comes to race and racial justice that I'm like, I know enough to know I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff I I don't know. And I don't I don't know what I don't know. Right. Okay. And and we had the type of relationship that I could say, William, I respect you so much. Can I ask you some questions and can you help me learn what I don't know? And there's a type of vulnerability there. And it's like I never want to put pressure on a friend of mine that's a person of color to like be in this role of forced educators or something like that. But when someone when someone opens up to you about the hurt they've experienced, no matter the type of hurt that it is, but when someone opens up to you about the type of hurt you experienced, it, it's a holy ground moment. 
you know, and I feel like we, we've experienced that, um, in all these episodes, but especially now with him sharing those, those stories, what's your reaction to that, Drew? I love that question that you asked. Can you tell me what I don't know? Mm-hmm. And to hear William say that, I just thought the church was the church. I love that, where he said, I was being taught that the church was different than the world. But then I realized it wasn't. And oh, that really struck me. And I loved, I loved the progression in which he told the stories, because the stories, they started with kind of slight implicit type of things and gradually worked up to just more explicit things. And I think some of us can hear the first couple of stories and and if we're honest, we say it maybe it even took us a while to see it. I know of a lot of people who grew up in predominantly white churches who when confronted with the question of racial injustice or even confronted with the fact that maybe their church is predominantly white, they go I never thought about that. That's just all I'd ever known and all I'd ever grown up in. I hear stories of people who grew up in predominantly black churches and they go, oh, I've always known that there's the difference. But for William to say, I thought just the church was the church. I think we can all get stuck in that sometimes to go, I just thought my church was like what every other church was like and not realizing that there are so many differences between each church and that there's always work to be done to make the church whole in the way God designed it to be. Always work to be done as, as the Spirit is constantly conforming us right into the, to the image of Jesus. And I, that's why I think it's so important to sit in these stories. Like, do we, can we have ears to hear and eyes to see and really see it? Because by the end, you're like, can you imagine there's, there's a shared event? You're at a predominantly white church. Drew, you're the preacher. And your church refuses to come because William's one of the speakers. You come anyway in tears. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, what did that preacher preach on the next Sunday? Right. Because yeah. you've, you've got a huge issue. You have an enormous issue with that church. Yeah, and it's one that's staring you in the face. You as the person who's supposed to lead this flock, this body. And you're going, I see something that is wrong with our church. Mm-hmm. How do I provide some sort of helpful corrective? We were talking in the last episode where we talked about what is church, and a part of what you and I think church is mm-hmm. is about holding each other accountable. Yeah. Holding people accountable to what is right is mm-hmm. not always easy. It's not. I mean, scapegoating is so easy. So yeah. it was so easy for me to go, Boy, that church is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not like them, you know, because they're they're really bad, you know. I think we just need I think we need to honor the stories by just sitting in them and listening to them and and letting it prick our hearts. And, you know, I say, what did that preacher preach to his congregation the following next Sunday? And, and, and to myself. Yeah. And then I love what William said that he said, I've, I now approach church, or I, I approach my job in church as I am a missionary to the church. Not a missionary in the sense that I'm trying to go grab people from outside our church walls and bring them in, but me as a person with insider language, with insider information, I can be a missionary to these people in this church, in this setting. 
And I'm going to, William may want to copyright that line, but I think I may steal it from him because <laughs> now when I have someone say, oh, I'm, I'm frustrated with this going on in the church, I feel like I want to ask them, well, can I invite you to be a, a missionary then to the church? Mm-hmm. Can I invite you to be a missionary to us? Because the work's, the work's never ending, right. right, as the Spirit works. And I'm, I'm thankful that William and Alwanda have been missionaries. Yeah, me too, me too. Let's get into our next section of conversation. Where do you get, where do you get the resolve to keep working on that? Like, where do you get, where does that humility come from? Where does that patience come from? When you're telling me those stories, I have gotten upset over far less things than that. So where, where does your posture on this? Like, like I can't even begin to understand where that comes from. JP, I, I think for me personally, I think some of it is personality. Mm-hmm. My personality, I believe, has always pretty much been low key. If you're somebody that's high strung and uh, it doesn't take much to set you off, I think that's the wrong that's the wrong business to be in. But I think personality has a lot to do with that. I think growth is 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 part of it. But I think when you're at your starting point, the starting point is already being a person whose personality is of such that if you hear something or see something that's not right, you'll be more patient in dealing with it than somebody that's, like I said, that's quick to anger, that's high strung. So I think that's part of it. I wanted, did you have some stories you wanted to tell or a theme you wanted to hit on? Well, broken heart stuff. Just to piggyback on, you know, your question about how do you do it? Mm. And William said personality. And um, I grew up, I grew up as the only child till I was 15. So I think a lot of it has to do with being by yourself, always wanting to have friends, you know, and you just put up with what they dish out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, that has just just been a part of me that where I can accept a lot of things that go on and just let it just roll off my back. And I'm glad, you know, that I grew up that way. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to be get upset at myself for being so lenient and not really speaking up and not, you know, I I speak up for somebody else than I will for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's just, you know, growing up as a, the only child and 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 wanting that relationship, you know, with mm-hmm. people. And that's just how I am. And I just, you know, just deal with you. And if I have to say something, I will. But I think that's the. The reason too, JP, is how you you know you've grown up. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a wise word. Did you have a? You know, William oh. kind of shared some stories on on the theme of of racism. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, or or any stories of your own you wanted to tell? Well, it's not uh, racism as far as outside of the like white congregations and things like that. He's covered that. Mm-hmm. But it's inside <laughs> the body of Christ where you are, you know, at home, at home. <laughs> so, you know, my biggest hurts have been from people in the con- in the church, mm-hmm. in the church, not not so much outside. And then when you, you know, you change your membership and you go somewhere else and, you know, there's a honeymoon stage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
you know, and you think that, you know, okay, well, all right, this is all right. You know, we and I have only been through what, three congregations since we've been together, but the honeymoon is all, you know, it, 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 it's over. Mm-hmm. I think our expectations, we, we expect yeah. more yeah. from God's people. Yeah. Yes. And when we don't, <clears throat> when we don't get that or we don't see that, it, well, it's, 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 it's crushing. It is. It, it can be very crushing. You know, I find so. myself in a lot of conversations with people that have been wounded by the church. And I find mm-hmm. myself in a bind sometimes because I'm like, well, maybe we need to lower our expectations because they are humans after all. And they're like, are you telling me I shouldn't have higher expectations for God's people? Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have higher expectations for people that wear the name of Christ. And I'm like, well, it's true. We should have high expectations sure. for people yeah. that claim. But we also need to realize we're all recovering sinners. So there's exactly. that there's that exactly. tension there yeah. that, well, to put it plainly, it's it's painful. It is yeah. painful sometimes. Yes. Yeah, you make you make a good point. You're exactly correct. <clears throat> you know, you think, okay, you grew up hearing treat people like you want to be treated. Yeah. I mean, that's a simple thing. It should be. I need to treat people like I want to be treated. But that is not the case in a lot of cases. How have you, because these are, these are wounds and you have these wounds. I have these wounds from interactions with people where I expected more. How have you found healing in your heart and forgiveness Mm -hmm. in your heart? Because I could use some help on this sometimes. (laughs) How do you find that? Like, what does reconciliation look like? (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Uh, Now I'm going to tell you something. You know, I'm I'm dealing with that a, a situation right now. Mm-hmm. That when a when a person can say, "I want, I'm sorry," and I can move on, mm-hmm. but when you don't hear that, JP, that is very hard. Mm-hmm. When you don't hear the "I'm sorry," and you know they know you know that something has transpired, and you don't hear that. I mean, this is the first time I have experienced this type of feeling. Like, like, why come you can't say you're sorry? Yeah. Because it means a lot to hear that. The, yes, ac- the acknowledgement. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, when you hear I'm sorry, JP, you can move on. Mm-hmm. When you can say you're sorry, you can move on. Mm-hmm. But without that, it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. On, on a lot of these issues we're talking about, if there's, mm-hmm. we can, you know, the path to reconciliation is often owning up to it. You yes, know, the, my grandfather preached a lot on confession and repentance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those themes come up in so many of these things we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. JPM, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what William and Alwander are saying, and I'm reminded that we are all human, <laughs> and that we all experience brokenness, and we all desire healing from that brokenness. Especially as we mentioned at the beginning of our episode, like we're coming out of this Easter weekend, it's like I want that healing 
in all parts of my life, relationally, personally, emotionally. And that's that's not easy work. Like that takes resolve to work through that and to find that. And I'm grateful for the work of Jesus that he provides that healing for us personally, but we've still got work to do relationally to make sure that we can find that healing and wholeness. I mean, you could hear the pain in her voice. Yeah. You'd hear that wound. And I mean, I was so moved when she said, why can't we say, why can't we just say we're sorry? Yeah. Why is it so hard to say? And I reminded of a friend telling me he was spending some time with somebody um, who had been part of this particular church for like 40 years Mm -hmm. and they were talking and some old wound came up. He hadn't even been around at the church when this wound had happened, but he just sat there and looked at him and said, I am so sorry that happened to you. He said, just the tears begin to flow because no one had ever said, like no one had ever said, I'm sorry. And I remember at one point in my life, I had a friend tell me, he said, "Um, you say say I'm sorry too often. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, like, I guess I'm, I'm willing to be okay with that. Listening to them talk about reconciliation, it's making me do some personal evaluation. What are the things I need to apologize for yeah. in all areas of my life? Yeah. And I'm, there are things that are flooding my, my mind and my heart, and I'm going, I'm not perfect. I've got work to do. Yeah. Yeah. But it takes work to get to that point where we're willing to apologize. And I think sometimes when we realize we have to apologize, like we can flee pretty yeah. quickly. So I'm excited to hear the next part of this conversation where they talk about why have you stayed? Like after that reconciliation happens, why do you stick around? Yeah, and I think you'll be encouraged by their answer. And this is where I'm leaning on on you all because you've lived more life than me and I need some good examples. The stuff you shared is hard and it's real. So why have you stayed? Like, yeah. like, what's the, what's the good stuff? What's the encouragement that if we hang in there, it's going to be worth it? What's the good stuff? For me, I think for me, most of it has been of late, it's been centered around my mission work experience. Mm-hmm. Because what, what happens is I know that there is something different. Mission work, when, you, when you're outside of the four walls and you see that there are still people out there who appreciate what you're trying to do and it's it's appreciated instead of taken for granted the relationships that come out of that and and you know about our mission work in Guyana yes over the last 20 years the work that we we are able to try to do there and the extension of our family with our congregation there's a mindset that it's almost like God's people only exist in these four walls. Right? <laughs> and, and there are so many people that they won't go outside of the walls. They stay confined to the same people all the time. And what that does, it creates a mindset that everything that is done inside those four walls, the traditions, the ways everything are done, that's the way. But when you step outside of that, Different people, different traditions, people who accept what you're trying to do and appreciate it. That's what keeps you going. 
Lawrence Avenue for us, and I don't mind mentioning, I mean, I'd say this even in front. That's for us. It's like just a home base for us. Yeah. That's how we look at it. It's our, it's our base of operations. We have responsibilities there that we're committed to. But our family, as far as God's people, is worldwide. Everywhere. It, it, you know, everywhere we go, whereas God's people, that's our family. I will say more times than none, the experience is good, but we've had some, we've had some oh, bad yeah. ones, uh, but overall the experience is good. And I, and what, let me just interject. The experience that we've had with Ackland has helped tremendously. I don't know about Lawrence Avenue as a whole, but I know for L1 and I, it's been a breath of fresh air, mm -hmm. and I hope that you know things will continue in a way uh, to where eventually, you, you know what the talk has been. You know, eventually, it's, it's 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 merging two congregations. Mm -hmm. now, wh whether that'll happen, I don't know, but I do know that the fellowship has been great for us. Mm -hmm. Y'all well, have meant so much to us. We've talked about this before. We don't have many members now in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. So we're we're missing that generation at our church, and, right. and you all have that. And we're and, missing your generation <laughs> right <for> now. <laughs> and so there are times I need somebody my parents' age to give me a hug and tell me it's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. William, I don't know if you remember, early on in the pandemic, I called you, and yes, I, was sir, like, I, do. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if we're going to make it through this because, you know, you're trying to keep your congregation together. And I don't remember the words you said. I just remember your tone was, the church has been through a lot, and the church will get through this, you know, and I just, yeah, yeah. I, the phone comforted. You know, yeah, yeah. I remember. So, yeah the relationship is is a highlight for us at Ackland for sure. Well, Alwanda, did you have any stories about why it's worth it? Reasons, reasons why it's worth hanging around to seeing what God does with church? To see it grow over time, to see uh, how people have once believed a certain way and then they get a better understanding or we get a better understanding. Mm -hmm. And we make changes, you know, that's a breath of fresh air. That's a breath of fresh air to me. And 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 love, you know, loving people, JP, when you say agape, mm -hmm. that's the kind of love we've got to have for each other. And and I try to grow in that. I'm growing in that each and every day. And when William talks about how God allows you to go through things, helps you grow in love. Mm -hmm. helps you grow in love so and i you know what i believe the word of god i believe that the church is the church that christ died for and i believe that if i stay in there i'm gonna see god's face one day i'm gonna be there with christ the holy spirit <laughs> i'm gonna i'm telling you i'm looking forward to that mm -hmm. i am so looking forward to that and I got so many questions I want to ask him. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I may not, you know, that may not happen, but you have in your mind, the human mind. You know, I mean, I do. I'd really look forward to having, uh, having a place in heaven one day with my grand, and you know, people that you know that have lived lives and only God knows the heart, but what you've seen out of them, you know, in their lives that, you know, they're there waiting on you. And I love how you phrase that, you know, the love 
of the church. I never feel more loved in this life than when I'm with the church and we're all together and we're loving each other well. And not every day in the church is that way, as we said, but when it's going well and the spirit is moving and we're loving each other, those are the moments in my life I feel the most loved. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, if these people love me, it helps me believe in the God that loves me. And then you say, it makes me look forward. It's a foretaste of -hmm. what we're going to have someday. Right. Well, let me put it this way. I've learned to believe and understand more clearly that the church, the, the intent of the church was to create an environment and a community mm-hmm. to help us, like you said, get a taste, a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. I've always believed that. I, I think, though, what throws me curveballs, though, is I, I'm, I'm so... I get so deeply into wanting to see that maybe maybe I'm trying to see it too early. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it's like I'll start seeing it for a minute. And then next thing you know, you'll get you get knocked back a few steps mm-hmm. and then you see it again. And then say, we have to understand Satan is still busy. Yeah. And so he's going to disrupt and he's going to do the things that he does in, in, the, in the hearts of men. And that's why we won't see the full, the full glory here. But we can get, I think, a little preview mm-hmm. along the way. And maybe that goes back to the conversation we had on expectations. We're going to have some tastes of heaven. And those are worth staying around for. It is. But yeah. let's, be, let's be wise. <laughs> yeah. Satan, yeah. Satan is still restless out there. Right. You know, JP, and I, I think too, uh, as being, you know, you being a preacher, that in sermons to make people, help people understand that the church is not going to be, it's not going to look like the totality of what heaven is. We're not perfect. There are going to be times when things are not going to be perfect and don't get the, maybe, maybe that was the illusion I got early on. But there are going to be some times when things are not going to go the way you think they need to go. Certain people that you believe are going to always do the right thing, the ones that you think are going to do right, they do wrong. Uh, and it's disappointing. It sure is. But understanding that person is a person. Yeah. They're human. Mm. So at any time, if you're human, whether you're Christian or not, Satan can do some horrible things. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate y'all doing this. Uh, I appreciate your example, your encouragement, your sense of humor, (laughs) all of it, all of it, uh, all of it means a lot. So I appreciate it. I loved William's emphasis there on mission work. And we've heard this in several of the interviews we've done so far that when we ask people, why have you stayed? What's given you life? They often go back to various forms of service, like serving people that are hurting, serving people that have tangible physical needs, talking to people that maybe don't know Jesus. And he's talking about his work in Guyana, which in our relationship, he's, he's told me a lot about that. I've seen pictures and video um, of all that they've, they've done down there. But I wonder, for us processing what he said, like how, how important is that for us to hear that 
to do this well over the long haul, serving others helps bring us out of the wounds we've experienced. It helps, and I want to say this lightly, it helps bring us out of our selfishness and look at others. And maybe part of the healing process for the wounds we've experienced is serving others. Yeah, especially if you find yourself serving alongside the person who's wounded you. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that gets tricky because you are looking at the other person, the other person's looking at you and you're going, man, we really are part of something that's bigger than ourselves. I, I think we can participate in church and we can still try to fuel our own egos the whole time we're participating in church. It's what you've talked about in your book and we've talked about it in the podcast. Like there's this consumeristic, yeah. individualistic mindset about this whole church thing, religion thing. Like it's just about me, right? And what I get out of it. But I don't think what what we've heard from the Carruthers and from other people in our podcast is that if it was just about me, I'm not going to stay around for very long. It's when I contribute something and I'm serving others or trying to work alongside God and what he's doing that that's what really keeps me around and that's what really fuels my faith and helps me stay excited about what this thing is that I'm a part of. Yeah, we've we've talked about this before. Our church works with a group called Room in the Inn that does overnight hospitality to the homeless community during the winter months. And and to do that, like I'll volunteer to spend the night and another guy from my church will volunteer to spend the night. And often I'll look at who signed up and say, man, we've had a little conflict or mm. we had this conversation that kind of was weird or, or this happened. And I tell you, it's amazing how often I'll go to do service for other people, but then me and my friend who have met there, we end up staying out, staying up talking and, and mostly it's mild conflict we've had, yeah. but we're forced to work it out. And there's a type of healing that comes in our relationship as we seek to serve other people. And I think that's what Alwanda's referring to as, I mean, the phrase I would use is, Alwanda is teaching us what it means to have a growth mindset. Yeah. Like God is using these hard experiences to make us grow in love. And you can hear the maturity in her voice. And I know her as I see the maturity in her life, the spiritual maturity. She didn't get that overnight. She got that through persevering through the hard stuff and and growing in love. Yeah, so we see the growth mindset and we see what happens when we trudge through the mud together. We get out on the other side and we get a little bit of taste of maybe what this whole thing is going to look like we could we could talk eschatology for <laughs> for hours but but we get this little bit of taste of like when that healing truly comes and then you and I can sit next to each other at a table and have no division between us there's no brokenness between us that's a little foretaste of what heaven is going to be like i i love what they're talking about when they're saying really church is giving us a taste of what it's all going to look like in the end. That's some hope that I need. Yeah. And I don't know, my friendship with them, I, I see them as mentors, even more than friends and mentors. And I get so much encouragement from them. And I know a lot of people do. And so I pray that as, as people listen to this episode, that we can all contemplate on, as you said earlier, there's work left to be done. Yeah. But as the spirit works, if we can have the humility and patience to listen and to get through the work, God will be glorified in the end, and it will truly be worth it because it's 
there is a contagious joy. Yeah. When I wanted and William speak, mm-hmm. every single time I've heard him speak, there's a contagious joy. And I want to stay around long enough to get to that contagious joy. Yeah, I think contagious joy is what it is, but we're also seeing the person of Jesus mm-hmm. in them. Jesus was a person who persevered through yeah. brokenness, even racism for what it looked like in his day. Sure. He was a missionary to the people who were the religious leaders of the mm-hmm. day. And he gave us a foretaste of what is to come, what we're looking for in all of this and everything we're talking about and everything we experience through church. We're looking for what Jesus was and who he is to us now and what that means is to come. I love it. I love it. Sounds good. My heart is full. Yeah, my heart is full. Thanks for introducing us to the Crothers. No problem. Appreciate it.